Welcome to Feeling It, the podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, talk and talk. Alright, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. Alright, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy it. Hello and welcome. This week, we'll be discussing Disney's latest live-action interpretation of their own IP, Cruella, which is in theaters and streaming on Disney Plus right now. But before we get into that, let's introduce ourselves and answer the question, what Disney villain do you want to see get their own live-action story? I'm Sandra Amstutz. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and I, I mean, I've got to go with another mean lady, which is <laughs> Ursula. Um yeah. I was I was doing some reading and I I realized that Ursula, you know, she's like brother of King Triton, Ariel's fa- like king father. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you could do a really cool sea witch merman brother sister prince princess origin story um where they, you know, they have magic, it's all underwater. I just think that's like ripe for great visuals and, you know, fun action set pieces i honestly think that's the best answer i yeah. i think she i think she's great i there's so much to uh i think dig into in her backstory that a lot of the other disney villains feel like yeah no i got it right off the bat so right. <laughs> yeah. um i'm lucas Wright um from chicago and my answer would also be um a mean purple lady um uh, oh i just forgot her name yzma yzma there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well done <laughs> Yzma from um, the Emperor's New Groove. I think she's awesome. I I think uh, she's <laughs> she's villainous. She's hilarious, um, and I just think there's so much backstory there that uh, that we don't even know about. So I would love to see a backstory for her. Absolutely, that's yeah. that's the other amazing <laughs> choice. Well, awesome. Um, before we get into talking about Cruella, every week we like to talk about something we've we've well, we've either discovered or rediscovered throughout the week. So Sandra, tell us what you're feeling. Okay, so this week I watched Bo Burnham's new special on Netflix called Inside. Um, I'm a pretty big Bo Burnham fan. I watch anything he puts out. Um, and I was really excited that a new special was coming and that um, from the looks of it, it was something that he created all on his own um, alone in his house in this year of the pandemic, you know? And I thought, well, of all, like, the comedians and thinkers that I'm a fan of, this is someone who I would really love to see what their take on this past year has been. Yeah. And um, one thing I want to tell people about this special is that it's very good, but I don't recommend watching it on a bad – when you've had a bad day Um, or when you're feeling – stressed or emotional or depressed because it is much bleaker and darker than I expected it to be going in. Um, There are lots of moments of, you know, things that are really funny and clever, but then there are also a lot of moments where he is Seemingly being very kind of raw and unfiltered about his depression, his suicidal ideation, um, and kind of just how um, bleak bleak is the only word I can think of, how bleak the world feels right now. Um, And so I had watched it on a bad day, and it was a rough watch for me, Um, even though I, I recognize a lot of brilliance that is in it. So... I do recommend it to people because I recommend everything Bo Burnham does to people because I always find new things to think about when I watch or read his work. However, this is a particular piece that I think you need to be in a decent headspace to watch. Um, But yeah, even though I kind of had a rough time with it, there are songs that he does in in this special that I've been singing to myself over and over Um, there's one particular one that, you know, made me cry in a really sweet way. He just is just kind of, it's his own 
raw talent that I, I can't compare him to anyone else. So that is what I've been feeling this week. <laughs> I, um, yeah, this, <laughs> I, one, I didn't write anything down for what I was feeling this week. Cause I was like, if she doesn't pick inside, I'll pick inside. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree with everything that you, that you mentioned about it. I do think an interesting thing about Bo Burnham is that like, he's, I think one of the first, comedians that we've seen like grow up on the internet because he started doing you know funny skits and you know songs and stuff like that on youtube Mm -hmm. and you know got specials based off of that and so he is now 30 years old and his whole life has been on the internet and so it's been very interesting to see kind of the progression of his stand-up specials in his career um and it's i what are we at five six years something like that from his last special um, yeah, and I think I, think, I, I rewatched that, um, I think last month and just seeing the difference, um, there, I mean, there are many reasons for, for the difference. One, he, yeah. you know, he recorded this one in the middle of a global pandemic. And so, <laughs> um, but just like you can see his growth and maturity change. And also a lot of this, I wouldn't say a lot of it. Part of this, um, new special is a reflection of, or him reflecting on kind of his past and what has it been like for, you know, for him to change and grow publicly. Um, and I, this specifically, I have a hard time calling it like a stand up special because that's not what it is. It's more of just like a, a one man show that he, you know, wrote, performed and directed (laughs) in kind of one room. Um, and, but the amount of interesting lighting and, um, you know, camera shots and stuff like that, that he has set up. It feels, it truly feels like, like a movie. Like he has done so much work to make this feel interesting and compelling. Um, and yet different than, um, it's not like framed like a movie or set like a movie or anything like that, but just the amount of energy and time that is kind of put into composing these shots Mm -hmm. feels cinematic to me. Um, and it's, it's absolutely beautiful. I think this, I, one thing I do love about him that was apparent bef- before this special, that's been apparent in his live shows as well. I love how much he loves lighting and yeah. like yeah. being creative with lighting. That is not a trait that I think most <laughs> comedians possess. Yeah. And the fact that he has this comedy talent, but then also has this musical talent and this eye for you know, visuals and light is, he's just kind of this full package that um, I think is, there's a lot, you know, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about the inner lives of like the celebrities that I enjoy, you know, and mm-hmm. it does make me wonder like if it's pa- almost painful to have this much like creativity trying to burst out all the time is, is yeah. kind of, the interpretation I get from seeing a lot of his work. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to mention is, you you know, you, you kind of said something about him being on the internet. And one thing that I think is really interesting about Bo Burnham is that his origin story is so internet based, right? That mm-hmm. he became, he became this viral sensation on YouTube from a kid in his bedroom that propelled him to great fame very quickly. Um, but since then, you know, he's surely had social media accounts, but he's but he has not been an internet based comedian since he was a teenager. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he is someone who I think is focused or fascinated by the internet and likes to examine what the internet is doing to us as a society and to us as like humans and our like spirits and souls. And so it's this re- interesting hybrid of someone who grew up on the internet, but then like has stuck to fairly traditional, you know, forms of media output since he kind of became famous, right? Like he did want to perform live. He, um, did stand, did stand up specials, even though they were unique, they still, you know, he wasn't self-releasing them on YouTube or, um, creating web series or putting out, you know, lots of content on all of his content on the internet before it's going to paid. Um, anyway. And so I, I really, for his future, while these types of specials that are, 
introspective and, um, you know, really magnetic are exciting to get. I really, I'm really, really looking forward to when he makes a return to filmmaking because this special, um, was part comedy, part, I don't know if you would call it performance art or, (laughs) you know, documentary show. (laughs) It's hard to tell. How much of this, and, and I don't, not to say that it's a false representation of his emotional issues in yeah. this year. I don't believe that. But it's hard to tell when you're watching this, how much of this is a documentary he's filming about himself, or how much of this is a performance. You know, he mm-hmm. is cre- crafting this whole thing himself. So when he's having a breakdown on camera, is that performative? It, and if so, does that matter? You know, those are kind of the questions that I'm asking as I'm watching this. And um, when I said that this special is bleak, I mean, it's really bleak. There yeah. is, there's not a big hopeful ending, you know, to that makes you think, oh, well, he went through this dark period, but I know Bo's okay now. And um, that's hard to watch, you yeah. know, simply put. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't laugh a lot during this special. For me it was mostly sitting there yeah. thinking this is amazing art. <laughs> yeah. And there are some funny things in here, but even right. the funniest things. He has a song about um um oh my gosh. What is it? A white woman's Instagram? Yeah. Um, oh, that that song is stuck in my head. It's so good. And it's so funny, but it's also like like he can't and he, I think he mentions this at one point, but he can't do something without also having like a deeper meaning to it. And so even that song, which is mostly just kind of funny things that you see on white women's Instagram is dark and (laughs) like has elements that like actually like bring you, um, I think closer to that feeling of like, Oh, we're, you know, why are we judging (laughs) these people's posts? The darkness that he brings to that particular song, I think is what makes, makes it not just a cliched song that anyone yeah. else would Yeah, make, it's beautiful. You know, mm-hmm. um, that that song, I think, is has that beautiful, the this it's sad. It, to me, that song is less dark and more sad, but that sadness that he brings to that song is what makes it, I think, a really beautiful piece. Yeah. Um, there is one joke that I will not spoil for people, but that I will tell you later, Lucas, that did <laughs> make me laugh out loud. I had to pause because I laughed so loud. Um, And then the rest of it was, that's another thing that's kind of fun about this special is that there's a lot, if you pause that you can, there's a lot of jokes in the background yeah, um, that are really fun to like keep an eye out for. Um, It's, it's incredible. I mean, he's one of the most creative artists that I think we have right now. And yeah, so it's thrilling to get new stuff from him. But this particular batch of new stuff that we got from him is, you know, he's not making it easy to process. And and I don't blame him for that at all, but it is, it's, it's been a rough year for a lot of people and including Bo Burnham, apparently. And I feel like he does treat it as, I mean, it is a double-edged sword of like, he has all this creativity, but during a time like this where it's difficult to process it or even, Mm -hmm. I mean, all creative people I feel like have been through this situation this year where it's just like, I have time to create, but I can't create, you know? And it's like, it's difficult. And he is kind of processing that live in front of a camera of just all he wants to do is create. And yet it's so difficult to do at a time like this. So yeah. Yeah. It's an interest. It's such an interesting art piece. (laughs) Yeah. It is one that I probably will not be revisiting the way that I revisit his other stuff. Yeah. Um, I might revisit sp- certain songs, but yeah. it is emotionally I can only handle it probably in full one yeah. time. No, that makes sense. So, Lucas, are you – was this what you were feeling this week or was there something else that you wanted to talk about? Uh, so, <laughs> on a lighter note, <laughs> <laughs> um, I watched a movie for the first time that – I feel like I do have a gap in my rom-com uh, rom-coms from the early 2000s. Um, I, I haven't watched most of them. Um, and so this week I watched uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, which is a movie that I have never seen before. <laughs> and um, 
I absolutely loved it. That movie's great. I know I'm like 20 years late on this take, but uh, that's a good movie. <laughs> so charming. <laughs> um, I think what, what interested me about it is that it doesn't follow a lot of the like traditional rom-com, um, I guess, setup and payoff situation where like, you know, they meet early, they fall in love, they have conflict, they break up, they finally kind of get back together, the end type situation. Mm-hmm. That's not what this movie is. They, they from, you know, it'll... From the beginning, they know that their differences aren't going to keep them apart. And so it's not necessarily about the fact that, like, she comes from a Greek family and he does not. Oh, no. How are they going to get along? It's like they know it's going to work for them. It's truly more about her relationship with her family and kind of her becoming her own person um, with her family. And that's kind of the the crux of the movie that that it lies on. But it's never about, like, her family will disown her or she has to, you know, break off from a toxic, you know, environment. It's all loving and nice and kind. It's just how can you become your own person in a family that is so big and overwhelming and that has been your entire life. And it's so charming and everybody in this movie is so great. So I absolutely loved it. I am going to watch it again for sure. It's such a charming movie. I haven't seen it in so long. But what I do remember from it was just kind of how successful it was from this basically unknown writer and actress, you know, that she – kind of just like wrote her own she wrote a rom-com for herself that she stars in about her you know family life and it became this huge sensation um yeah i think it's it's like the highest grossing rom-com of all time really yeah at the box office wow (laughs) um but yeah just to see someone kind of create her own destiny in that way is always exciting just and anytime we get to see like a new star be born was yeah. thrilling and um so that that's mostly what i remember from back when that came out and and from watching it um that and of course my love joey fatone being a part of the <laughs> cast he's so good in it i was really surprised he's very funny i was yeah. always when i was like young my favorite like of whenever there was like a girl group or a boy band i was always a fan of like the funny one you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> Uh, so Joey Fatone was partic- my particular favorite in sync, and yeah, yeah, loved seeing him in this. That's awesome. Well, yep. So that's my big fat Greek wedding. I think everybody should watch it. I think it's on HBO Max. Let's see. Um, I also just need a bit. I, I I always pronounce his name wrong. I feel like, or I don't know how to pronounce his name. But John Corbett is maybe his name who plays her love interest. Yeah. Um, where's he been? Well, he was in Sex and the City for a while, and he, he recently was in um, The Dad and To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, he's been in, you know, he does a lot of stuff. He was recently in a, a movie about a church and, like, refugees. He does a few, he does some religious stuff. He does some religious movies, um, but then he also, you know, does Sex in the City. So he's not, <laughs> I think, too intense about it. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it's on HBO Max. Um, but, yeah, he's always just, like, you know, such an incredibly charming love interest. And in this, he is really, really sweet to watch. That's awesome. Yeah. Everybody in it is great. I, I full-heartedly recommend it. It's time to talk in or out, the section where we talk about new trailers and whether we are in or out on them. So we're going to start off with, um, I'm going to spoil it right now. I'm not in on this movie, but The Tomorrow War, starring Chris Pratt. Um, this is directed by Chris McKay, who directed the Lego the Lego Batman movie. He was also the mm. editor of the Lego movie. Um, is That's kind of his, his big thing. So this is his first like, big live action movie. Um, to me, this feels like a, just a... Vigi- very vanilla Chris Pratt action movie um, that I'm not interested in at all. Yeah. So the premise of this is that a group of soldiers arrives from the future and tells everyone in the world, like, Hey, in the future we're battling aliens. Humans are about to be wiped out. Everyone must come into the future with us to fight. Like you're, you're required to in order to save the human race. And so, Chris Pratt's character, ex-military, gets drafted into this future war. Um, and this is a bad trailer. It's it, This <laughs> feels like it's every cliched, like, YA apocalypse yeah. kind of 
it, it doesn't feel YA only because Chris Pratt is a dad in this movie, but everything else about it feels like a YA apocalypse novel. Um, the line in the trailer that was like, if I don't go, then you'll be required to be drafted. And uh, where it sets up that he has to go instead of his wife. And yeah, um, there's just so much in this that doesn't seem interesting. Um, I think that this as a concept could be interesting, but this particular telling of it and this trailer has no appeal yep. to me. Fully yeah. uninterested. Plus, I mean, here's the the truth is Chris Pratt has not been endearing himself, I, at least to me, <laughs> I would say. But to I, yeah. I, my sense that is like the larger public has lost a lot of its Chris Pratt charm. And I think he's talented and I think he, but I think he gets in his own way and a lot of the projects that he picks are are not great and so when he gets to work with great directors he gets to be used really well but when he does kind of the movies like this where he just gets to be an action star i'm i'm less interested which is kind of a bummer because yeah. you know like from parks and rec he was this like small character that became such a big star um, based on like kind of raw charisma and comedy chops, right? I do feel and, like it's a Bruce Willis situation. Yeah. Like Bruce Willis has a lot of talents outside of just action movies, and that's just kind of what he's been sl slotted into. Yeah. Well, that's it, right? No nothing more about Tomorrow War. Yeah, I mean, the Tomorrow War is a movie a trailer that I wasn't even going to watch until <laughs> you kind of requested it for this. Um, yeah. I was that uninterested in it, you know? Got it. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, well, the next one on our list is the new M. Night Shyamalan movie, Old. Um, this is about a family who, on a vacation, ends up at a beach that they realize um, is starting to age them rapidly. Yeah. So this, you know, speak with Tomorrow War, I was like, that could be a cool concept, but this is not a great, good trailer. With Old, I was watching this trailer and I thought, this is an amazing concept and an amazing trailer. Yeah. Um, but also it's a no for me dog because I will <laughs> not be watching this movie because it looks too scary. <laughs> um, to me, this, this reminds me of the get out trailer, um, where I was immediately like, I love this idea. I love this concept. I love this trailer. I want to see this. I don't know if I can. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so for me, I think I will be waiting to see kind of how people feel about it, how scary it actually is. Um, to see if I'm gonna gonna watch it because it could be a get out situation where it's like you can power through you can power through and do it because it's right. worth it um, right. and there's not as much scary stuff as you know that there could be um, it's not a fully fully horror movie but I think we'll have to wait and see what people say about this one but I'm very what, very interested in it what I think is really genius about this setup and this trailer is that I mean I don't really watch a lot of M Night Shyamalan movies because most of them are scary and I don't really watch a lot of scary movies but from what I can tell, he has kind of like this roller coaster record, right? So sometimes his mm -hmm. movies are amazing, sometimes they're very bad, um, and you kind of just don't know what you're going to get when it comes to him, which is kind of exciting, right? That, you know, mm -hmm. um, you don't know what to expect. But this looks like it has the potential to be really good, and part of that is because I think the one location and this small cast and really concentrating this story looks like it's going to be really good for him. Yeah. Limiting the scope and having just like a small group of characters stuck on a beach is going to make for really, really interesting storytelling in a way that, um, I don't know. He doesn't always limit himself from what I can tell. Right. And so yeah. to me, this, it looks like these limits are going to be a really yeah. good thing. I, I think you would really like M, M. Night Shyamalan's movies. Um, I would say less of them are scary than you think. <laughs> I'm trying to think of which ones I have seen. I've okay. seen. Have you seen The Sixth Sense? I've seen The Sixth Sense. Okay. I liked it. It was very scary for me. Yeah. Um. It was. Well, I saw it when it's, I was young, and yeah. it was very scary. It's less I, scary now. When I when I, I was I saw yeah. it as an adult, and it was less scary, yeah. but was good. Yeah. Um. And I've seen The Happening. <laughs> oh, I have not seen that. Yeah. Not good. Have you seen um, Signs? You know. I don't think I've seen signs like in full. I think I've seen like scenes from signs. Yeah. Um, signs is not very scary, but very good. 
Okay. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of others of his that I might be interested in, but I'm coming up blank. Unbreakable um, is probably his least scary movie. And right. I would definitely say one of his best. Okay. That's the Bruce Willis one, right? Yeah. 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 So. Okay. Um, yeah. So very, you know, I was super intrigued by this. I probably won't see it, but I'm excited for other people that get to and that yeah. it looks like it might be good. Yep. Cool. Next one is the big one. Eternals. <laughs> we finally got an Eternals trailer. I've yeah. been very excited for this movie um, ever since he- even hearing that I think Chloe Zhao was going to make this movie. Um, but seeing her, you know, kind of rise over the last year with um, Nomadland and her kind of winning the Oscar there um, has just made me more and more excited to kind of see what's coming out of this. Because for, a, you know, what we've talked about this before, but someone like her going into the Marvel machine um, could churn out a very generic Marvel movie um, mm-hmm. or could do something very interesting, um, kind of more in her own um, design. And it feels like a good mix. Honestly, like watching this trailer, it feels like you get a, a lot of visuals and stuff like that, that feel very her um, and yet don't feel completely out of place in a Marvel um, universe, which is very exciting. So I think what excites me about this is that you, I feel like you can do a little bit more, I guess, different things. Um, because I don't know much about the, the Eternals. I almost called them the Immortals, <laughs> the Eternals. Um, but it seems like based on the trailer that it's these, this kind of group of, of Immortals, um, who have been around earth <laughs> kind of the whole time, um, guiding and shaping, you know, civilization so that's that's kind of what it what it feels like and so it feels like you can do some different things so again know nothing about the plot but the trailers was a lot of fun yeah i think this trailer was beautiful and i'm really excited about this movie i'm excited for what it it looks like chloe zhao is going to bring a level of like spirituality to the marvel universe in a way that i think is very cool and i also think that whenever you deal with uh, you know, this doesn't seem to look as, like, space opera-y as, you know, like, Guardians of the Galaxy is. Mm-hmm. Whenever you bring this more, less, I should say, whenever you bring stories into the Marvel Universe that are not just, like, I'm a regular person on Earth that suddenly got superpowers. So when you go beyond that, right? Yeah. Um, I think there's a tendency to really focus on, you know, creative costumes and planets and visuals and and you can sometimes lose the human quote-unquote element of the storytelling right and what i am excited about having chloe jaw on is that like it'll i don't i think she's going to really take the time to bring that human storytelling element into this film um i think that she is going to be like the perfect person to blend these grand ideas and beautiful visuals with small intimate moments because that's what we know she is great at doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And we don't get a lot of small intimate moments in these Marvel movies. And so I'm excited to see them. I'm just, I'm really, I, this cast has me very excited mostly, but, but mostly having her as the director is what really is getting me pumped for this film. Um, And so, yeah, I, I cannot wait to see this one. I 100% agree. I'm super excited. I'm excited about Marvel movies. <laughs> yeah. And let me just say, is Black Widow the only one that's coming before Eternals? Do we have anything else in between Black Widow and Eternals? When does Eternals come out? I think in the fall. Okay. I don't think we have anything between them. So I've just got to say, I am not really excited about Black Widow. I just don't think it's going to be great. And, <laughs> and that's my gut feeling. Yeah. And so... Eternals is the one in the distance that I'm holding out hope for. Yeah, I've never been excited for Black Widow. I think I am more now than I was mm. this time last I year when it was going to come out. But was excited by the idea of a Black Widow movie. I think you that there is a lot that you could do with a Black Widow prequel movie that would be really, really badass. And the trailer that we're getting from this one does not look like it's taking advantage of that. Yeah, I think that's true. I think I'm more excited by the potential of it than the actual yeah. thing. So we shall see. But yeah, I'm glad that Eternals is coming pretty pretty hard on those heels. <laughs> right. So, 
Awesome. Okay, so the final trailer that we're going to talk about today is Edgar Wright's new movie, Last Night in Soho. So this is the story of a fashion designer who, I think, uh, when she goes to sleep, gets transported to, like, 1960s London. Um, <laughs> this feels like a Midnight in Paris type situation. Um, yeah. Uh, which is always a fun concept. I love that idea. Um and I was in on this movie originally when I knew that it was um, Anya Taylor-Joy, Thomas and McKenzie um, in an Edgar Wright movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't even need to know the premise. Just, yeah. like, buy my ticket. I'll show up. Exactly. I think this was – I don't think this ever – because this has been, like, talked about for years. <laughs> I think this mm-hmm. was originally supposed to come out in, like, 2019. Um, and so I think at one point it was considered to be on my, like, most anticipated movie of the year. Um list but watching this trailer i was shocked to see that this is might be a horror movie (laughs) yeah it i mean it it does definitely seem to be a horror film although i don't think i'm not nervous about it being too scary because of edgar wright i feel like i feel like whatever he brings forth i can handle um or he'll temper with other stuff you know so far that has been the case with his movies yeah and I, this is just one of the best trailers I've seen in a long time. It's so I have to good. Say. It's so good. <laughs> it doesn't uses almost no dialogue, which yep. I think is a great choice. I think when a movie can just present to you, like, here's what our concept is going to be, and then here's also what our vibe is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, give you a visual taste without telling you exactly what how the movie is going to progress and how the plot is going to unfold. Um that is the best way to do a trailer. And I love that this trailer takes advantage of that where a haunting song, beautiful visuals, and the visuals are enough to let you understand what's happening in the story. And, and then that's it. And that's all you really need to fall in love and get excited. Yeah. I love the idea of this character, not only midnight Paris, she goes back in time, but she's, living seemingly living the life of another woman right yeah um and that looking through the mirror and and becoming another person when you dream is really really exciting um and anya taylor joy looks incredible in this um and yeah i'm just really really excited for it me too i hope it's not not as scary (laughs) as it looks here's the thing this when a movie looks that cool and beautiful, even if it is really scary, I will handle like, you know, yeah. I'll yeah. deal with it. Yeah, I th- I think that's kind of where I'm at is I'm seeing it no matter what. So I just yeah. hope it's not <laughs> too scary. Yeah. And I love a good fashion movie. It looks so fashionable. Oh, yeah. So well, speaking uh, of fashion movies. Yeah, it's a good transition into our <laughs> our main topic today. Cruella. To give a little background on this movie, this is a movie starring Emma Stone, um, Emma Thompson, um, directed by Craig Gillespie, who directed I, Tanya, um, most recently, and written by a, a long list of people. <laughs> um, this is Disney's latest live-action... Um, villain origin story. Yeah. I was trying to think, the only other villain origin story they've done is Maleficent, right? It feels like they've done more. But that's the yeah, only one I can think no, of. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if Dis- if this was Disney, but then there was that um, Oz movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That feels yeah. like Disney. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah, so I'd love to hear your expectations going into this movie, kind of what you were thinking, um, and then your reaction kind of coming out of it. Yeah, so I remember years ago when this was just like a buzz news piece, right? That was like Emma Stone to play young Cruella de Vil in like – punk london in the 60s and like that log line had me so excited for this film right um just the the setting the the clothes the vibe i thought oh i mean i i could what more could i want from a movie <laughs> right <laughs> um and then of course like i didn't think about how like disneyfied it would have to become right yeah. to be a disney movie and that is the inherent 
like paradox of a Cruella origin story, right? Is that Cruella is this pretty creepy villain, you know, like she doesn't just want world domination or power like most villains do. Yeah. She wants specifically to skin puppies for a fur <laughs> coat. Like, that's her main objective, which is really sinister and creepy, right? Yeah. And so you have, like, you could, you have the potential for a really cool, sinister origin story. But the other side of that is that. 101 and Dalmatians is a Disney property. And so any origin story would have to also be a Disney property. And by that nature, it cannot be as cool and sinister as it should be. Right. Yeah. Um, so I remember when this trailer came out being intrigued, but also there was a lot of people making fun of it. Right. And especially like the font on the poster is, particularly bad and not cool um <laughs> yes and so i was going into this not really fully knowing if this was going to be trash or if this was going to be you know like live up to its potential right and i think it mostly lives up to its potential ultimately um i think it's obviously not as grimy or sinister as a cruella story could be but it is also, but it is not bad. And it's, I had a really fun time at the movies watching this. I think if you like fashion, if you like heists and thieves, um, then there's a lot to like in this movie, right? And Emma Stone is always great. Emma Stone has never been bad in my book. And she continues to be really fun to watch in this one. Um so I had a really good time. There are a few things about this film that made me roll my eyes or that I thought really held it back from being great. Um, but I had a really good time with it. I think that's what I kept telling myself during this movie is I'm having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> For how bad this movie is, because I, I actually do think it's pretty bad. It is entirely enjoyable throughout. Um, yeah. This movie is way too long. This movie is two hours and 15 minutes long, which did not, it, not necessary at all. Um, but throughout I was having so much fun. I think what really interested me kind of going into this movie is we haven't seen a lot of movies set in the seventies. And so having this movie set in the seventies with a very seventies soundtrack, um, talking about fashion. So getting to see like late sixties, early seventies fashion in this movie yeah. is very interesting. <laughs> Love it. Um, and I think like the whole time I was just like, yeah, we haven't seen stuff like this in a long time. I think it's been very interesting that like 50s, 60s, 80s style has all kind of come back in certain ways. And now we're getting into like 90s style coming back. But there are pieces of 70s fashion and style that have come back, but not in the way that those other decades have. And right. so getting to see something that's in the 70s feels very unique to me right now. Um, and so I, I had a blast just getting to look at everything in this movie. Um, I think going into it, I was not excited about this movie at all, just because, I mean, everything that you've said, like it's, we get it. It's going to be a Disneyfied version of something that, that has a lot of potential, but, um, they're not going to take as far as they should. <laughs> and, um, for the most part, I, I, I agree with that. I think I, after watching this movie, I went and watched 101 Dalmatians and mm. just to list out the things that we know about Cruella in that now, movie. Did you watch, you watched the animated one? Yes. Yeah. The okay. animated one. Um, do you think I watched the Glenn Close one? <laughs> well, I just wanted to confirm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in the, that, that, that's actually a good point. I haven't, I've never seen the, the Glenn Close one at all. Um, Maybe I should watch that. But I was just thinking, like, based off the original, which I'm assuming that's what this is a prequel to, right? Not the Glenn Close one? So that was one of my questions going in, right? I think when I heard this concept, I kind of thought it was going to be a prequel to the Glenn Close one. Because I thought, like, young Emma Stone in the 60s, 70s, and then Glenn Close one is set, I guess, in, like, the 90s, 2000s. And it's like... This is when she was young, and then she grows older to become Cruella, de the older Cruella DeVille, right? That would make way more sense. So that's kind of what I was envisioning. Um, 
But then the movie, I think, makes it clear that it is a prequel. It's its own prequel, right? Because they do, like, different stuff with casting and, and so that it's not a direct prequel to the animated. But it's more inclined to be closer to the animated film than the um, than the live action one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I... <laughs> I had formulated this whole story in my mind that it was a prequel to the animated one and hadn't even considered that Glenn Close had made a, uh, oh, 101 Dalmatian well, movie. Well, the thing that I remember from the Glenn Close version is the clothes. Like, okay. the fashion, I think, is a big part of her character in that. And you, like, there's this really great scene where you walk through her fashion house. And I haven't seen the animated movie since I was a kid. And so I don't even remember how much of the fashion is a part of that movie. Or her yeah. being a fashion designer as a part of that movie. Um, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we so know that's, absolutely nothing. I think that's nothing. what tied me to the Glenn Close one. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so in, in the animated movie, I just kind of listed all the things that we know about Cruella based off. Sorry, you didn't list them. What did, What are they? Oh, yeah. So um, basically that she drives that, that very famous car. Yes. That she has that, that mansion, the DeVille place, yeah. <laughs> Hell Hall. Um that she knew Anita from school at some point, um, and that she uh, hired Horace and Jasper. Those yeah. are the those are the only things we know about her. And I feel like, like any Disney property, that's like this is a character. We have to check off all of those boxes. We have right. to get an origin story for all of these things. <laughs> and so. Um, that's I feel like that's what this movie is based off. It's like these are the five things that we know about her. Um, we have to explain it all: how she got this house, how she got this car, how she met Horace and Jasper, um, even how she got her ridiculous name. <laughs> yeah. And so all of those things are just like it feels very um, solo to me. Um, where the Han Definitely. Solo movie is like again, here are the list of things we know about Han Solo. Let's make sure we talk about all of them in this movie. <laughs> so that to me was very annoying. Um, but I think the rest of the story that's built around that is very interesting. It feels like it feels like a story of someone who um, has a dream. Again, in this one, it's of being a fashion designer. Um, gets into that world, has a mentor that's terrible. Also, I should mention this is very Devil Wears Prada and written by the woman yeah. who wrote Devil Wears Prada um, yeah. as one of the listed writers. Um, but kind of has a mentor that has – there's that tension between like I look up to you and I – you know, want to be you and yet you're awful and I hate you. <laughs> um, and I think that tension is, is interesting, especially, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the fashion world, I just think like, that's, that's, it, it feels very right. It feels like a, like an interesting topic to explore. And I don't feel like they explored it well in this. I feel like there are some things that really could have helped this movie be great. And I'm excited to kind of talk because I think you mentioned that as well as that there are things that like you just roll your eyes at. that you are just like, this movie could have been actually right. really, really cool. <laughs> um, and I think we can talk about all of that in spoilers, but in general, I just felt disappointed by the potential the, the, the very high potential that this movie had and just the lack of um i think willingness to really go there with 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 some of the the decisions in this movie um but overall i, I you know i can't complain too much because i had fun the entire time so it's Same. i think it's a bad movie that i enjoyed watching and I will probably go back and watch some scenes from this movie just again, because of the fashion, because of the acting, I think Emma Thompson and Emma Stone are amazing. And without them in this movie, um, it would have been a lot worse. I think they bring so much more to these characters than, uh, is on the page. Yeah, I agree. Um, someone else that I want to like shout out, I was really charmed by Joel Fry who plays Jasper. Um, he's so great. I I love him in everything. You know, I'm trying to think of what I've seen him in before. The only thing I think think of is yesterday. Um, but he brought so much to this role um, and brought just charm and charisma, but also heart. And I, I was really, I could, every time he was on screen and was like getting a chance to like do stuff, I was, my eyes were on him. Yeah. I'm excited for him to, to to have more kind of leading roles. Like he's kind of a, a very side character in yesterday, but he's really great yeah. in it. Um, he was in game of Thrones for, for a bit. Um, but he, 
where I really love him, is in a terrible movie called Love Wedding Repeat. Um, I which, need to see that still. <laughs> it's very, very bad. I know, but it but is, I, you know, it's yeah, one of those movies yeah. that it's like, I know this is going to be bad, but I still need to see it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I totally feel it. Like he is fantastic in that movie, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also want to shout out to the actor John McRae, who played Artie, the, like, yeah. shop owner. Um, mm-hmm. So fun to have that character in this film. I think, you know, 10, 15 years ago, Disney would not have, like, such a fun care in a film like this. And um, I, I'm glad that they did in this one, because he brought a lot of style and charisma as well to this to this movie i agree when he showed up early in this movie i assumed the movie was going a different place than it did and i got very excited about Mm -hmm. it and then very disappointed when it didn't go there that's on me um (laughs) not not necessarily on the movie but i do want to talk more about that in spoilers because i think he's a he's a great actor and a great character in this movie and a very interesting there's there's a lot that could that could have been done with his character that uh was kind of left on the table not not explored Yeah. yeah okay But ultimately, I had a fun time, you know? I think that this movie could have been so bad. And in a way that it was, in my opinion, was not. It could have been way worse than it was. (laughs) So I don't don't know if I would... Actually, I take it back. I would recommend this to people. I would um, definitely recommend just, it to people. Just, just because of how fun yeah. it is. Um, but I, I think I would let people know in advance that it's like, don't get your expectations. Like, because I think people are talking about how fun it is, I don't want people going in with the expectations that, oh, this is a fun, great movie. Right. Um, but it's just like, this is fun. You will enjoy it. You will have a lot of fun yeah. watching this. I, okay. I will say one thing. This is a PG-13 movie. Is it really? Um, it is. I can't think of another Disney live action remake that was PG-13? That makes me mad, actually. Because it's like, if you're going to have a PG-13 movie anyway, why not go yeah, harder? Yeah, This is exactly what I was about to start talking about in spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> is, is if you're going to go PG-13, go PG-13. And if not, like, it's on the edge of, like, this almost could have been a PG that's movie. So, so if that's what you wanted to make, just make it PG. So fr- Disney as a studio is so frustrating. Because <laughs> I get that they're a family-based studio, but at some mm-hmm. point, if you're gonna if you're gonna have a PG thirteen rating anyway, like let's get into twenty twenty, yeah. right? I mean, this is not a movie that I would recommend. Twenty twenty one. It's little... not twenty twenty anymore. God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not get in twenty twenty. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is not a film that I would recommend like little kids watch. Um, like it's it's definitely in like it, there's some scary elements. There's some uh some you know some creepy elements there's just stuff in here that it's like man this is a little too much for kids but i think not enough to where we really you know deserve the pg-13 no. I mean, <laughs> rating that we got some stuff that like really little kids would probably find too scary but not yeah. to the point where like if you showed this to a kid they'd be fine you know what i mean like yeah I mean, it obviously depends on the kid and everything like that. Sure. But, like, once you start talking about, this like, 11, 12-year-olds and stuff like this. This movie is, right. like, this movie's exactly. tame, in my opinion. Exactly. I so. watched The Pelican Brief when I was really young. And so, like, I don't know if this is not okay. on that level. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a whole other uh, <laughs> issue we should get into. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, yeah. So, I yeah. So, I, I would say, like, little kids, this is not the movie for them. Yeah. But older kids, uh, it's it's in a weird, frustrating place where it's a little too scary for PG, but uh, definitely not a PG-13 <laughs> movie. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. well, I'm ready to talk spoilers. Okay, let's talk spoilers. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Now, crack and gas. Spoilers! Remember, you wanted this. What do we... Th- now that we're still on the topic, what do you think made this movie PG-13? Was it the fire and the drinking? I think, yes. I think it's the the, the drinking, the fire. There's a lot of, like, scary, um, like, she does a lot of, like, Joker-type stuff of, like, showing up and being scary to, you know, to people in a way that, like, little, little kids, I think, would find a little bit, a little bit creepy. Um and I think those are things that kind of push it over the edge, but just like barely over the edge. I, mean, truly um, barely. I also think because th- let me tell you, there's drinking in PG movies, and 
that fire scene is not that scary. Is is there drinking like excessively? Not, I mean, but there's not excessive drinking in this movie. There's one scene where she drinks, where she gets drunk. Right. I think, and I think that's that's the key. I think it's getting drunk yeah. <laughs> on screen is what pushes it over the edge. Which I mean, I'm not going to debate the reasons for the MPAA's sure. rating yeah. system, which is already weird. But I just think like those are the things that push it over. So if you know you're going to do those things, just lean into yeah. it like just make it a pg-13 movie right. um it's not it's not like they cut it together and then they're like oh no we got a pg-13 <laughs> like you put these things in there and so you kind of know that this is what's gonna happen right especially because if those are the only two things that made this pg-13 it seems like those are two things that you could have cut in a way to make them pg yeah. right like the drinking thing wasn't necessary for that plot yeah. anyway, um it's, the one that's all the one thing choices in my opinion very odd choices and there's some things like the thing i'm about to mention that feels like they didn't go this far because they didn't want a pg-13 rating (laughs) and they got it anyway so just yeah um i think the truly the most heartbreaking thing for me in this movie is that she did not skin those dogs Mm. i am so upset that she did not murder the dogs which is a weird thing to talk about for cruel to <laughs> that I come out of this movie being like, why didn't she kill the dogs? She should have killed the dogs. Because this, there's this whole buildup that is like, she is getting worse and worse. What is the point of no return that she's just really going over the edge? And the fact that she has that coat, she talks about skinning the dogs. And then um, Emma Thompson says it. She's like, she killed my dogs. And at that point, I was like, she did. She She went for it. She really went yeah. for it. And then it turns out she didn't, and it has nothing, like, none of that was ever resolved. Just like, oh, the dogs are still here. Like, that made no sense to me. And absolutely should have been the turning point where it's like she's gone off the deep end. See, I didn't mind that. I kind of, I feel like with these kind of origin story movies, you, I mean, you you have a choice, right? You can either end the movie on a dark note, right? Like, this person was a hero and then they became a villain by the end of the movie right or you could tell the story and it ends on a happier note and but you but there's a sense of foreboding because you know what is to come and so this chose the latter right and i think i'm okay with that especially because i think i what i really liked is i loved this like small family unit right that that she created with these two found thieves. Um, and like the, I love a found family story, especially with like thieves just trying to make it in the world and how they all count on each other. And the real story is like what is happening to her relationships with them. And by the end of the movie, she's kind of repaired those relationships, but we also know what's coming. We know that it's, that with this power that she's gained and this wealth. And we have that scene with Jasper where he says, I find it hard to say no to you. You know, Um, we know that that relationship is going to evolve into her being this powerful figure and them being her henchmen instead of the team that they once were. And so I liked that ending that that's the sense of foreboding and not the dog stuff. I don't know. For me, that's how the story kind of played out. Do you feel like you cared about the, that relationship? I though? did, yeah. Like because I think of how what a talent Joel Fry is, I cared about it. I I it never like it felt like that's what they wanted me to care about, but I never did because I knew where it was ending. I think like I I think in, in most movies you have some kind of central relationship throughout the movie that you're just like is this relationship in danger? <laughs> you know? Um, and in this movie, we, I, I, we didn't have that. Like we had their relationship, but I never felt like it was in danger. It never felt like she would truly lose them. Um, she was treating them terribly, but at no part, no part of me was like, and they should leave now. <laughs> it's like, they won't leave, you know, they're stuck right. here. Um, but it never felt also sad that it was like, Oh no, they're stuck here. They, you know, they can't leave. It's just, this, it is what it is. Um, and I feel like this movie really would have benefited from a true relationship that gets broken due to kind of this. And that, that kind of semi-sweet note of like her getting everything she ever wanted and yet losing a relationship that actually mattered to her. Um, like her, uh, I guess, adoptive mom, like, but she loses her so early in the movie that that's not actually a relationship that you care about throughout the movie. Um, 
So I just feel like it would have benefited from something like that. And it didn't have to be like Jasper or Horace, but right. like, um, I just feel like that's what it needed because it didn't feel like there were any relational stakes to this movie <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, and so w- one of the things that I was thinking about, which this is at this point, this is just me kind of going off on my own um, story, <laughs> storytelling here. But I felt like the whole adoptive mom thing was unnecessary to this movie. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you felt, but it felt like it felt just like it padded out the movie so much that we like we don't we didn't need to know that like the you know the baroness was her mother and that she gave her away to this other person and i i I think it's interesting that she's her mother but we don't find out that she might have killed her mother until very far into this movie which we knew from the beginning like but she doesn't find it out and it's not like a a tension right or even feel like a plot point till very far into this movie and then we don't find out that she's actually her kid to like over an hour and a half into this movie. And it just feels like a bunch of unnecessary, like twists and turns that didn't actually do anything for me. I liked having the mother, the first mother die and that that's her like tether to kindness, right? That like that love that she really, that true love that she shared is something that like grounds her in a way. And I like all the scenes at the fountain where she's talking to her dead mom. Um, I think my biggest issue with this script is how there are a lot of scenes where things are spelled out in dialogue or in voiceover, right? And it happens a lot to the point where I was like, gosh, we get, this does not need to be spelled out. The one (laughs) exception to that is I do like her like monologue when she officially goes bad. Uh, it's so good at the fountain because Emma Stone is yeah. really good. Yeah, it's all it's it's all her just being good. Like I think it's a, probably an overwritten, yeah, um, unnecessary monologue. But because it's Emma Stone, right. she delivers it beautifully, and it's moving. It's so good. Um, the when the when she like says in that monologue when she admits like like I'm so sorry. I did love you though. Like that that yeah. I really did. Like is so good. Can I say though that monologue would have been better. If she'd been delivering it to a person that she was in a relationship with this entire movie and there was the tension of can can you be good? Can't I'm pushing you to be good. I need you to be mm. good. And finally she breaks and says, I can't. I am who I yeah. am. This is, you know, like her delivering it to a fountain, to a woman we saw for less than five minutes in this movie is still good. But it like it doesn't give us that true emotional, right. that <laughs> you know. But. I think the whole plot of Emma Thompson being her mom is really dumb. I think it's a, it's dumb. I think I went into that, like, as soon as, like, we show up to the mansion and we see that, like, the adoptive mom, like, kind of talking to someone, I I, yeah. I assumed, like, well, she was an heiress of some kind, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think Emma Thompson being her birth mother is dumb. And I kept expecting and wanting just, like, her to be like the Baron's child. And there's this long history of half black, half white hair in that family, you know? Right. Yeah. The half black, half white hair makes no sense. I also thought that would be like resolved in some way. It's like, why? One baby was born with it is odd. (laughs) I just think it would have been really funny if like, there was like a hall of portraits with like all these different family members with that hair, you know, that's like locked away. You feel like with the other things that they explained in this movie for no reason that they also would have explained (laughs) that. (laughs) Right. And so, yeah, so I didn't love that aspect of it. Um, Mm -hmm. What I did like about the Emma Thompson character, though, is the Devil Wears Prada aspect of this film I think was really fun. And one thing that made it really fun is that unlike in Devil Wears Prada, where Anne Hathaway has no interest in fashion... Um, yeah. This is a movie where the person who the the mentee desperately wants to be in this world, and that is great to me. <laughs> and um, yeah. the fashion element of this movie is so so fun, and I like that there's all different kinds. I like that there's like grungy fashion and glamorous ball gowns and all different stuff to to look at. Um, I think the scene with the moths is really really cool um yes i didn't see it coming i yeah me yeah that was great and 
it was that was such a cool reveal from a heist perspective and from a fashion perspective. You mentioned the grunge aspect yeah. of it. And I loved that they did that, that it wasn't just like 70s high fashion. Here you right. go. It was also just like, and you get the grunge look. And uh, like, and it's and you get a, David, a lot you of get like. David Bowie influence and you get, yeah. Right. And so honestly, when Artie first showed up, one of, one of my thoughts was, okay, what they're doing here is they're going to pit high fashion mm. against more of like a. Uh, you know, progressive grunge, um, just you know that that kind of like seventies culture clash mm-hmm. of the mostly white high end, right. <laughs> you know, style versus the more diverse, um, you know, you know, queer aspect of you know that time of like people figuring out that like oh my gosh, there's such a weird you know aspect to to fashion that we can really latch into right. here. I thought that was going to be the clash that she's kind of stuck in the middle between like the people that she's found, like her found family's um, style versus this high fashion. And I was like, that's cool. I want that. And that's not what this movie was, which again, isn't on the movie. (laughs) It's just, I saw that and was like, that could be cool. Yeah. 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 Especially with the, this movie is very diverse from a casting standpoint. And zero diversity from a story standpoint (laughs) like there's no reason for anybody in this movie to be anything other than white Mm -hmm. from the you know the way that this story is told um so visually visually diverse without any actual like uh meaning behind it which is a little frustrating Sure, yeah which i think is where that 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 fashion aspect really could have come in (laughs) come in handy right uh yeah that's again a whole other movie that like could have been so so cool um, uh-huh. I remember someone, this is just me also thinking about other ways this movie could have been cool is <laughs> someone had on Twitter long ago when this movie was kind of just talking about being made. Um, you know, we know that like Cruella and Anita know each other from school, but like, that's not really specified. Right. And in this movie, it's like young elementary school, but someone yeah. had had this idea of, Anita and Cruella being like college roommates. So that's what I assumed yeah. was their backstory up until this movie. Yeah. And how like what a cool story that could have been, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. Prim and proper Anita, like devilish Cruella being college roommates and this unlikely friendship. Yeah. Um, so much potential there. Oh, the, yeah. the other thing, this is a very a much a nitpick, but in the original um 1961 animated movie she calls her anita darling the entire time Mm -hmm. in a way that's that's very much just like she's calling her darling yeah and in this movie her name is anita darling like her last name is darling (laughs) which is extremely annoying also we already have um a british uh disney character with the last name of darling like it's it's just weird mind the like we've got to work in all these previous things into this prequel and I, I, I kind of like the puzzle of that. And and I am one of those fans that's like, oh, I, I recognize the thing, you know. But I think that there are much more subtle in ways of doing that. You know, like yeah. the when the car was the, the worst of them all. When the car pulls yes. up and he's like, hey, this license plate says devil. And the guy goes, no, it's yeah. pronounced Deville. <laughs> Deville. She's like, huh. And then she gets I this like look that. on her face like, ah, oh, like, yeah. Not even just a look. She says out loud, like, but did I she like say the it? sound of that. <laughs> and so it's just like, you could have just um, yeah. had him pull up in the car and say something like, oh, funny name on the back. And then the pa- car pulls away and you see the name. Like, yeah, it doesn't have yeah. to be so spelled out. And this again, it feels like the Han Solo name thing. Right. Where it's just like, what's your li- who, like, are you you're alone? I'm just going to write down solo. Yeah. And everybody's like, ah. That's his right. name. <laughs> and it's just, there were so many moments of that in the movie where the yes. plot or Cruella's feelings were explicitly stated, like, vocally. Yeah. And yeah, to the point that I just kind of thought, we really don't need that. Like, where the audience is smarter than you give them credit. Yeah. So those aspects of it make it frustrating. A hundred percent. Can I tell you my, my pitch yes. that I feel like would have just made this movie like an hour and a half <laughs> and in- more interesting to me at least i don't know how many other people would <laughs> would have found this interesting but i would have been very interested if she had just been the daughter of the baron and baroness and that had just been the start of the movie 
is mm. she is someone who grew up around this. And let's say in this movie, her dad is still alive. So she has a great relationship with the Baron. She has this weird relationship with her Maybe mom it's a stepmother, because her mom like a stepmother situation. It, I see. I don't even I think it needs to be. I mean, it, it could be, but I kind of like that. It's a, it's her mom. Who's just a little crazy yeah. and mean. And just, she doesn't have a good relationship with her mom, but she has a great relationship with her, her dad, mm. but she is into fashion like her mom, but feels kind of on like on in a weird position because her mom is her mom. Um, and so she forms these relationships with these kind of outcasts and finds connection in that way. And that ends up being her true family. And this whole movie is this clash with her working for her mom and yet wanting to do all of these cool mm. things. And her mom taking credit for all of these cool things that she's doing. Yeah. And so all a lot of the like the conversations that happen in this movie between her and, and Emma Thompson could have just been those conversations, but just with the relationship in reality of us knowing like this is her mom this is her daughter they both know it right. <laughs> and they're both discussing these things of like yeah i'm taking credit for your stuff because you work for me you will eventually you know be like me and here's what you have to do to do yeah. that um and her kind of going against that and finally her kind of breaking and saying like uh, go back and watch her speech by the fountain and pretend she's giving that speech to her dad who's been there the whole time trying to kind of tamp down all of the craziness and just be normal (laughs) and please just like be good i love you and her basically just saying i can't i have to go full out if i want to do this thing i just think that would have made that movie so much more interesting and less twisty and you can still do all of the high stuff with her friends and like all of that could have still been part of the movie it just gives you a relationship that you care about and a true conflict between her and emma thompson's character Mm -hmm. that is explicit and not like twists behind the scenes that some people know about some people don't kind of right yeah i think that would have been great um i think that's that is the frustrating thing with these uh, ip stories is that we have so much connection to these characters and see so much potential in them right and so yeah whenever that is fulfilled or not fulfilled we, we're always going to it's never gonna be the same as with an original story where you're just kind of like happy to get what you get <laughs> there's a lot that could have been done with this movie ultimately though i had fun in a theater with it and so i'm glad that at least that this movie got to have really i think this movie looked cool also just visually and in, in addition to the having great fashion i think mm-hmm. they had a lot of fun with this vi- movie visually they had a lot of fun with the music. I mean, and and then the actors seem to be having a lot of fun playing yeah. the, these characters. Yeah. So again, I think it comes back um, to the fact that like we recommend this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we had fun with it. I think I also thought about it a lot. Like it was just totally. a movie that I kept kind of thinking about afterwards. Totally. Um, I think that wraps it up for us. I, I guess we both recommend Cruella um, with the caveat of saying like, it's not amazing. I right. think, but I think you're going to, I think everybody's going to enjoy it. I think is kind of where, <laughs> where we both landed <laughs> is that it's hard not to enjoy this movie, exactly. no matter, no matter what you think of the quality level of it. Um, so wrapping up, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on all social media platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. And you can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff. Uh, probably Dreamcasting my, <laughs> oh, why did I forget her name again? Yizma? Yeah. <laughs> Yizma movie. Yes. Dreamcasting my Yizma, my, my Yizma movie. <laughs> Anya Taylor-Joy, you know, like... Oh, gosh. She would be a great young Yizma. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye, now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it? Go home? Yeah. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 